Um, y'all, this morning we're going to continue on with uh, what Chris kind of laid out last week, this sense of commitments that we have had, uh, that we've been discerning over what it means to follow Jesus together, right? Like these kind of almost a corporate rule of life, this invitation uh, to grow together and to be a joyful community of disciples. And what we know we have to do that on purpose. We know that we have to do that together. And so over the last year, our, our leadership team, our staff, and our vestry has been working uh, to discern and to listen from the Lord and to follow his lead about what those commitments would look like, what we would maybe refer to as a corporate rule of life, kind of be more specific in defining the things that we can do together to grow in our life with God and with one another. And Chris last week laid out uh, that first one, uh, which is to experience God's love and life in the Spirit. And he followed up with that at a class, and we're going to be doing that each Sunday over the next now four Sundays from 436 in the chapel. And we encourage you to sign up for that uh, and to give more space to unpack what these things mean. They certainly aren't one and done. You know, these are like the values and the vision that we're going to be living into. And so it's going to be a continual conversation that we have. But this first reality of, of experiencing God's love and life in the Spirit is the starting place on purpose. Because, y'all, what we need to remember is that everything we would attain for, everything else that would be on this list of values that we'd be living into, is empty if we're not animated by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we ourselves aren't experiencing God's love and being filled with the Holy Spirit, these things are going to ring hollow for us in our lives. And so what we know is that's the starting place. It's what empowers us, what animates us to move forward and to live into these other commitments. And the second commitment that we're going to look at today and in this text and tonight in the class is this commitment to invite others into friendship with Jesus. Now, I'll just say this. To invite other people into friendship with Jesus is a, maybe a clever way to say the word evangelism. And for some of us in this room, that's a neutral word, has no history with us. For some in this room, it's been a very positive word. <clears throat> and for some in this room, it may press some buttons uh, because of the past, right? And there's things in good reason, maybe, because the church hasn't always been faithful in living into this design to share its faith in a fruitful and godly way. And so some of the fruitfulness that has come from uh, sharing our faith and inviting others into friendship with Jesus can have a checkered history, in the church, I think it's good to acknowledge that that has been the case, right? Like the church has done its job and lived into its calling to be a place of peace and healing and restoration. And so when we're giving away uh, the friendship with Jesus, those are the things that come with it. But sometimes the church hasn't always won, right? Like we've missed the mark as a body of believers. We've missed the mark in our own lives. And it's just good to acknowledge that, I think, and to acknowledge that, you know, when we talk about inviting people into friendship with Jesus, that we have a history that we bring to the table. And some of that history is going to be great and celebratory, and some of that history is actually going to be maybe in some ways the very thing God wants to heal and restore in us. Because the reality is, is by God's design, we are meant to give our faith away. By God's design, this is what it means to actually be a believer, is to invite others into friendship with Jesus because God's kingdom is replicative. By its nature, it, it grows because we ourselves look to people as we're following Jesus. We look to people and say, hey, you follow me as I follow him. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Come on, come with me. And we know that that can be confusing because we're not exactly sure we want to make it sound like in a perfect package. We don't want to wrap a little bow around it. It can be manipulative and coercive and dishonest, but it also can be extremely redemptive. And actually, I would even say as Christians, when we're living into this calling, because it's God's design, it's the invitation into the flourishing life, the fullest life. When we have privatized our faith in so many ways as a response to the history what we're actually doing is we're leaving the baby with the bathwater, right? Like there is something really good in there because our faith is meant to be given away. It cannot be a privatized experience. 
And what I love about the text we're going to look at today is I think it does help us maybe navigate kind of what this can look like in a healthy way for us. And like I said in the class tonight, we'll be able to dig more deeply into this. But let's open your Bibles if you have them. It's John 1, 35 to 51. And we'll take a look and we'll see what the Holy Spirit would have to say to us this morning as it relates to this idea of inviting people into a friendship with Jesus. It says the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I'm sure somebody really smart knows exactly why that matters as a detail. Um, I'm not that person, but I love it. When my seven-year-old tells me stories and involves details like that, you're like, okay, I'm sure there's a meaning there. I don't know what it is. But apparently, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. And he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would animate us, God, that you would give us hearts to receive, ears to hear, eyes to see, God, the work that you want to do in us and through us. God, we come as real people into this space. We ask that you would help us see the distractions that we carry with us and lay them aside. God, if those distractions are the very things you long to work in and through us, Lord, that you would help us sit with them. But Lord, help us expand our imagination of what it means to be a people who invite others into friendship with you. Help us see where you may be leading us this morning. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that it doesn't go, it doesn't come back void, Lord. That bears fruit. And so we hold on to that promise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I think I failed, y'all, because I forgot to do a slide that has three points. So hopefully you'll be able to. I'll, 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 I'll repeat things just to help. But the first, there's three things I really think kind of I take away from this text that have been helpful for me as I think and imagine what does it look like to invite others into a friendship with Jesus. And the first is that sharing our faith is about relationship. Sharing our faith is about relationship. God is relational. 
we know that. And so we know, it, like the Trinity, right? Like God exists in the context of relationship. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is communal in its very being. And so we, made in his image, are relational people. And so this invitation to invite others into friendship with Jesus is an invitation to invite others into a relational experience with God. Into a relational experience with God. It is not just a set of ideas and beliefs that we're inviting people into. We're inviting them into a relational experience. And there's two things I think I want to say about this in particular. First is this. If we're going to invite people into a relational experience with Jesus, we ourselves have to be in a relational experience with Christ. It has to be true for us. It has to be true for us because we cannot take people where we ourselves have not been. It's so important for us to hear that and to settle into that, that whatever kind of comes into your mind when you think about inviting others into friendship with Jesus, the starting place is your own friendship with Jesus. Cultivating your own life with God is the starting place for inviting other peoples into the same thing. It's why our first commitment is first, right? First commitment of a disciple is to experience God's love and to experience life in the Spirit because we cannot give away what we ourselves do not possess. And the second thing is that we're inviting people to follow a person and not a set of ideas or beliefs. Now, get this. I'm going to say this. I know this is probably, this is recorded, I think. So I'm saying this very clearly. Our ideas matter. Our beliefs are vital, right? We are at the mercy of our ideas. What we think about things are, is extraordinarily important extraordinarily important because it becomes the framework through which we make decisions. So we are at the mercy of our ideas, but we are not just a set of ideas and beliefs. To be a Christian is to follow a person, is to follow Jesus. It is much more than just something that lives in our heads. And the reality for us in our life with God has to move from our head into our hearts. And that's what it means to be a whole person as we follow God. And the problem is, I think our challenge in Western culture, and especially in city culture, is that we live up here. So much of our life with God is spent in our heads. And we know in the human experience that that would probably be a shortcoming, right? Like if you're married or you're in a significant friendship, you know that what that means is that you exist at a heart level. You're vulnerable. You're transparent. Your heart represents our love, and we are creatures who love. Jamie Smith says we're more than brains on a stick. We're creatures who are primarily driven by love. That is what makes us us, the whole picture of us. And so when we have an experience in a life with God, we have to consider whether we spend our life with God up in our head or whether or not we're allowing ourselves to experience the movement from our head to our heart. It's a vital part of what it means to follow Jesus. In order to invite others into it, we have to make that movement from our head into our heart, y'all. And I can tell you from personal experience that this is a, is a legitimate difference. I spent probably the first decade of my life with God in my head. I was learning all sorts of good things. I was aware of all sorts of great theological ideas, and I was committed to a better and more deep understanding of those ideas. I was committed to reading the Bible, but I was reading the Bible in my head and not in my heart. And I had to learn how to create space and rhythms and practices that moved things from my head into my heart, that moved things from just an idea into an experiential relationship with God himself. And y'all, I can just tell you this, that that's, for some of you in this room, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You have no idea what that means. And you wonder if it means that like all of a sudden I'm going to jump off the stage and float. When I mean a relational experience with the God, I'm not talking about something that's unattainable. I'm not talking about something that's inaccessible. I'm talking about something that's probably going to be wired like you in the way that you engage in relationships with other people. But we have to be honest with ourselves about the way we relate to other people because the way that you and I relate to other people is going to be the way that we relate to God himself. 
And so if we're honest and vulnerable in our relationships with people, we have to consider how did we get there? What are the types of things that we did that allowed us to become people who showed up in our heart and our relationships with people? And in my own life, one of the things I've been doing for probably the last year in my devotional life with God, and hopefully this will be helpful to you. If it's not, that's okay. You're still here. Um, the reality is I've been journaling, and I, instead of just reading the Bible, I've been asking myself, where am I experiencing joy? Where am I experiencing sorrow? Where am I experiencing peace? And where am I experiencing fear? I ask myself those questions every single day, and I write it down. And what it's helped me understand is it helps me locate where I am. And I don't know exactly how this works in God's economy, but when I am more in tune with where I am, it seems that the Holy Spirit seems to be more likely to meet me in that space. It seems like I get to be more human and more whole in that space. And so for what it's worth, I just an encouragement to you guys to consider the practices that you have in your life with God and ask yourself, am I spending my life with God in my head or am I spending my life with God allowing him to move into my heart? Because what we know is that if we do not move into our heart, the words we say to people will ring hollow. And you guys know that from human experience, right? Like, you know, plenty of experiences in your life where somebody says something but the way they embody what they said doesn't feel true, right? It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel accurate. And we don't trust it. And I'll say, if we're going to invite people into friendship with Jesus, if we're going to invite other people into Jesus, what comes out of our mouth may be accurate and may be true, but if we don't embody it, it's going to ring hollow. And so we must cultivate our life with God, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. And that's the first thing I think we take away from this text, is that, we, that God is relational, so are we, and so we have to really tend to our relationship with God first and foremost as we invite people into relationships with God. And the second thing I think that I take away from this is in order to make relationships, we have to make space, right? Like we spend time with people. We spend time with God. That is making space for these things. And Jesus seemed to have this, this posture, right? Like this inviting posture, this open posture, this generous posture said, come and see. He said, follow me over and over again, which I think are both just real expressions of, of a generous and inviting spirit. He was making space for people he knew. He was making space for people he didn't know. So making space for these relationships is an essential part of what it's going to mean for us to invite people into friendship with Jesus. We must make space. But y'all, we have to consider the fact that making space is going to cost us something, right? It's going to cost us something, whether it's time, energy, our plans, our schedules, our physical spaces. If making space is what opens the door to relationship, inherently what it means is when we make space for something, we're inherently making a choice to not make space for something else. And so as we live into this invitation to be disciples who make space for people, who invite others into friendship with Jesus, we have to consider for ourselves, are we making space? Are we making space in our schedules? Are we making space in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships for people to come and to know the Lord? Now, I will say this. I think evangelism can always kind of be talked about as like people who aren't believers. Uh, but the reality is, is I think this can be true for both believers and non-believers, right? Like you and I are meant to be able to sharpen and to care and to tend to people in such a way that brings new life, both for people who know the Lord and for people who don't. So sometimes we'll talk about those two things together because the reality is they're anchored in the same thing. When we make space for people, we are sharpening them. We're inviting them into a relational experience with God in a very real way. But we have to make space for that, and we have to count the cost for that. 
I once, um, you know, what I do for a living as pastors is you eat for a living. Um, and then every once in a while you have coffee for a living. You spend a lot of time with people. And so, you, and, you know, and you basically, you go to like the same four places. And so you get to know the staff really well at these places. And I had a waiter at one of these places um, who got curious about why I was always there. And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And he got real excited. He's like, hey, I just became a believer. He pulls his phone out and he's like, watch my baptism. And so he was like, so we sit there and we're like in this restaurant and I'm watching him be baptized. And he, you know, he's crying. This is an amazing experience. And I was like, tell me more. Like, how did you get to this space? He said, well, I didn't grow up a believer. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I used to work at Publix before I worked here and I was the bagging guy. And every single week, this older couple came and bought their groceries. And every single week, they would ask me questions about me. You know, it started with my name. And then the cool thing is the next week, they remembered my name. And then it started with my story a little bit. And the cool things, the next week, they remembered elements of that story. And they'd say things like, hey, we were thinking about that time that this thing happened to you. And so eventually, or we said, I mean, months and months and months, they eventually, hey, okay, you know, we, there's, we go to a church around the corner would you want to come to church? Would you ever consider that? And he's like, well, sure. Like, you guys have been friendly to me. I'll come. So they tell him to show up at a particular time. He does. And it ends up being that the guy who was the man um, was the pastor of that church. So he, the guy, like, walks out on the stage. And this guy's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> but it sets this reality, this tone of, of, of relationship, right? Like, he then gets, stays in connection with this pastor who eventually builds such relationship with he and his wife and this young man that the man longs to experience the love of God, and he becomes baptized. He's baptized, y'all. He's a part of the kingdom of God because two people made the space in the line at a Publix. That's amazing, yet it's not all that amazing, right? Like, we go to the grocery store probably a lot, unless you're like the people who order Amazons, you know? Like, we're in places all the time in which we don't even realize that God is at work. God is placing an opportunity in front of us. And I think that story for me is, I heard that probably five years ago. And I think about that when I read the text this week, I was like, that is like what Jesus would have done, right? Like Jesus, this couple, they made space to enter into his world. This guy was in a Publix. They came into his space. They came into his space, Emmanuel, right? We just celebrated the Advent season, God coming to us. Eugene Peterson says, God moved into our neighborhood. Are we doing that, y'all? Do we have an imagination for going into the world of people who don't necessarily act like me, look like me, talk like me, think like me, believe in the things I believe so that I can put myself into their space and maybe crack open the door for a relationship with the Lord? I mean, we have to, I really have to consider it. I've got three little kids. I work at a church. I'm a professional Christian. My wife works for the Christian chicken. Like, it's, we're surrounded by Christians. And so we have to be really thoughtful about putting ourselves into spaces where people aren't believers. We have to think intentionally in the same way that God did, in the same way that this couple did. Are we looking for those opportunities? Are we making space for that? And the second thing I think we see them do is they weren't in a hurry. Like Jesus, they weren't in a hurry. They didn't rush out of the publics, right? The goal wasn't to get through whatever it was that they were doing in that particular space, but they made space in their schedule to not hurry, to not rush. And so much of us and so much of our lives is spent from like trying to get from where we are to where we want to be. And by doing that, we actually miss the very thing that God is up to in that moment. God is going to be present in the present tense. God is going to be at work exactly where you are, exactly where I am. He'll be there too, 
But when we go there too quickly, when we rush past the moment, we miss these golden opportunities to see God at work. We, see these, we miss these golden opportunities to see that God is doing something pretty remarkable. And he wants you and me to do that work, to draw people into a life-saving relationship, a healing relationship, a restoring relationship. But we can't be in a hurry. We can't rush all the time. And the third thing I think we see here is that they eventually made space to invite him into their space. They demonstrated this invitational nature that is so true in the kingdom of God. It isn't just coming into his world. It isn't just making time for him. It's also inviting, the, the, inviting him into their space that becomes so important. And that's that generosity, that open-handed posture that is so important if we want to invite people into a friendship with Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves these questions, right? Like, are we going into these spaces? Are we uh, uh, people who are making time for these spaces? And are we inviting people into our world, into our life with God? And what we know is we're going to have to make choices. We're going to have to make adjustments. We're going to have to consider reevaluating our rhythms and our practices and our postures so that they do these things. But the good news, y'all, is that we don't have to control the outcomes. When we try to control the outcomes, it's where we get into the trouble that I mentioned before, right? The church and Christians being accused of manipulation or coercion, of dishonesty, of self-serving. All of those things are bent when we try to control. And I think the third thing we see in this interaction with the disciples and Jesus is that this posture of inviting people into a friendship with Jesus is one of curiosity and not control. It's a posture of curiosity and not control. We are not in charge of the outcomes, right? Like God may use you and me to plant seeds. He may use you and me to water those seeds. And it may be that he uses you to see the seed become fruit and to grow. But we aren't in charge of those outcomes. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What we are in charge of, if you will, is when we make relational space and enter into those relational spaces, can we have a curious posture because of making space, I think, opens the door for relationship. I think curiosity is the movement towards people. It's expressing interest in who they are, which is affirming their value and their worth, right? It's asking questions, honestly. It's as simple as that. And sometimes those questions that we ask are going to be really mundane, right? Like if you come to this space or you go to your store, your gym or your neighborhood or your kid's sports team, whatever it is that you find yourself in, in those spaces, sometimes the most mundane question becomes the most important one, like, what is your name, right? When you look at a person and you introduce yourself and you ask them a little bit about their story, like, what do you do? Do you have a family? Where are you from? That's curiosity. It's expressing interest in people that we can make to feel so flippant, right? Like, because it's so mundane and it's so common, we can forget that sometimes those are the very beginnings of a pretty amazing work that God is doing. But for some of us, and at some point in your life, you will also probably be asked to ask pretty profound questions to people, maybe even strangers. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this happens to me all the time. My wife marvels at it. And this is how, in some ways, I know that I'm doing the job I'm supposed to be doing, because people will tell me the most private information in the most public spaces and not even know who I am. And I'm not kidding. They'll walk up to me and they'll be like, uh, I just need to tell you, on the plane, right, coming home from my in-law's house, the lady next to me decides to tell me that she is in a major transition in her life and one that was full of sorrow and despair and now feels like she's like slightly hopeful. And she's sitting actually not next to me. She's next to my seven-year-old who's obsessed with his Nintendo Switch. 
So he's like, you know, trying to like hit things the whole time and hitting her. And she's at the same time, like tears coming down her face because she's telling me about these meaningful things in her life right now. And this is a total stranger. And y'all, what I'm telling you this for is the fact that it is the embodiment of the Holy Spirit that does the work. That is not me. That is the Holy Spirit doing a work in and through me. And y'all, I can tell you this, a promise, that that would not have happened 10 years ago. Maybe I'm sitting there talking and she finds I'm a pastor and we talk about like why bad things happen to good people. And it's a theological conversation, which is a good one to have. It's important. But y'all, I'm telling you, when I've cultivated my heart life with God over the last five years, especially, I've seen those types of conversations happen more and more often. And I think it's because this, this, the Holy Spirit is more sensitive to me. And I'm more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I'm willing to listen and to have uh, eyes to see and ears to hear the work of God. And so in those spaces, I am following the nudges of the Holy Spirit. And I think you're invited to do the same thing. But we have to practice that. And when we cultivate our life with God at the heart level, what we're cultivating in many ways is sensitivity to the work of the Holy Spirit where we can lean into the work of the Holy Spirit and we'll learn to discern how to ask what questions and when. And sometimes those things will be as normal as you can be and other times you'll be freaked out because it is the most like, profound and intense like, exposition or expose of what a person's life is really like. But y'all, that is the beauty because that is what God wants to do. That's God's hope. God's hope is to heal and to restore and to make new all things. That's what it means to be in a friendship with Jesus, and it means to invite others into that same friendship. But we don't have to control those things. And thanks be to God, we don't have to control those things. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that smart. I just want to show up. So we show up by remembering that God is relational, and so are we. We show up by making space for people with a generous and open posture, and we show up by asking questions and with curiosity. Like I said at the beginning, like, we're never going to talk about all this right here. We're not even going to finish the conversation 4.30 to 6 p.m. in a chapel. But I encourage you to come to this because this is the call of the church. It's the call of us as believers to lean into this invitational life with others, to move towards others in a relational way so that the kingdom of God can grow is what God is after. And so this is what it means to be fully alive in Christ. And so come to this tonight, to the, the, the class tonight. Uh, please register so we know to expect if there's too many people in there, we'll move in here. But we encourage you to come and to dig deeper about what this call means for you and for me and for us as a church. But it's also why we do Alpha. And Katie said this up here just about 20 minutes ago. Like, it is not a program. Alpha is not a program. Alpha is a space. And if you think about, like, and I didn't even think about this until I wrote this sermon, Alpha, in essence, is the space in which we are generous and hospitable, food and drink. It is the space where we give space for relationship. And if you've ever been to, to Alpha, it's, you sit around a table for seven weeks with about the same eight people. And you get to talk about what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart. And what you find is that trust is built, camaraderie is built, and a sense of community and relationship is built which is, makes sense because that's what God is like as well. And it's also the space where we really embrace the curious side of God. Where we get to ask questions and know that there's no real answers in those spaces, but we get to be curious people and open people to the work of God. And so before we come to the table, what I think I'd like to do is for us to close our eyes and to actually pray specifically about Alpha because Alpha only works when we invite people to it. 
And what I mean by that is only when you or me or the people who are sitting in this space particularly think of somebody that we want to invite to come sit with us at a table and to walk through these questions over January and February and March. But we have to be the people who extend that invitation. And so what I'd love to do is, is to spend just a minute asking the Holy Spirit to nudge us, to put a name in our head or on our heart. And that could be somebody you work with. It could be a neighbor. It could be something, somebody that you see at the gym or on your kid's sports team. It could be somebody sitting in a room with you. It could be a family member. Who knows what it is. But let's quiet our hearts before we come to the table and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us.